Let's try that again. Good morning, everyone. It's wonderful to have you here at City this morning. And um, my prayer request is, is that my voice would not give out before the end of this sermon. I'm sure if it did, all the type A people would sit here and wait until my voice came back so that they could hear the rest of it. Um, We're going to step into a new teaching series this morning, and the title of the teaching series is Get Real. Get Real. A lot of this piggybacks on the idea of 2018 here at City. Our theme is health. That as a church, we're going to look at all the facets of our individual lives and our collective life together as a congregation, and we're going to take a look at health and do it very seriously. But what I can tell you is, you don't move towards health unless you get real. You really have to look at where you are and where you are and take an honest assessment. This morning, the sermon that I'm going to bring is going to focus on the cross. I kind of feel like I ought to be speaking on Noah's Ark. That's what I kind of feel like I should be speaking on. But the cross is something God's put on my heart to begin this new teaching or sermon series entitled Get Real as we move towards health. The other thing is, I just want to say a quick word of encouragement for those of us that are depressed because of last night's game. I mean, what do you say, right? Other than a quick shout out to Virginia Tech, I can't believe I'm doing that. Oh, it just breaks my heart. But what a wonderful game. And uh, if you didn't get to catch the, the game last night, you could catch the UVA wrestling team wrestling Virginia Tech this afternoon at 1 o'clock at Memorial Gym. And I've referenced this before, but I'm very blessed to be the chaplain for the UVA wrestling team. And we're going to be wrestling against Virginia Tech. And they are nationally ranked extremely high, have a lot of gifted wrestlers where we're going to pray that God gives our wrestling team the strength of Samson and that they will body slam Tech with the love of Jesus. How does that sound? Don't know how that all fits together, but it's the way it is. The sermon that I'm going to bring this morning is a focus on the cross of Jesus. At the outset, I know that this is not a popular topic. I have a very good friend of mine who actually preached here this past Sunday, and his cousin plays organ at a church somewhere in the Midwest. And she called up my friend Joe, and she said, I've just left my church. He said, I'm so sorry to hear that. I know you love that church, and she's an extremely gifted organ player, and they had the whole pipe organ, the whole, whole bit. And he said, well, why did you leave? And she said, well, the reason is, is because the sermon on Sunday basically said this, Jesus was confused. There is no such thing as sin. God loves you just the way you are and never calls you to change. You're just good. You know, but that sounds good at the outset until you have a problem. Until you need God to convict you and to empower you to bring a transformation in your life or He brings a transformation into your life Because if you are like I am, there are times in life while I am intimately aware of the fact that I desperately, desperately need to change. And if God's cool with the way I am, 
then what's the point of the cross? If God's good with me just being me and he loves me and he does love me, but he loves me too much to leave me the same, how could it be that God would love me and not call me beyond myself, call me out of sinful patterns, call me out of things that bring chaos and dysfunction and brokenness into my life? God loves me. Absolutely he loves me. But God's a heavenly father that loves us enough that when we're out in the middle of the road playing games and a tractor trailer's coming, he loves us enough to shout at us and to call us and send his Holy Spirit to convict us to get out of the way of the tragedy that's coming. How could it be love if God just leaves you sit out there? Doesn't make sense to me. And so this morning as we take a look at the whole idea of get real and health, I'd like for us to start at the cross. Here's my simple thought all morning. The cross is where we begin and we end as followers of Jesus. We begin at the cross. And so as we think about that, I want us to clearly understand that the cross is a place that maybe you're not aware of what the cross is, and so this message is going to be all about that. And so together we're going to begin by looking in the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to look at several verses this morning in the Gospel of Luke, or in the Newer Testament, where we're going to begin in the Gospel of Luke as we see the cross of Jesus playing out just prior to his final breath. So we're going to take a look at the thieves on the cross with Jesus in Luke chapter 23, verses 39 through 43. Here's what the Gospel of Luke tells us. Jesus is there on the cross. The gospel tells us that there, are, there are, are two men, two thieves. They're on either side of him. And it says that one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him, meaning Jesus. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said? Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man, this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. What a powerful episode that the gospel of Luke uploads to us. There are some obvious things in it, things like Jesus is sinless. We know this from the Newer Testament. And even the thief on the cross looks at him. And he knows that Jesus has done nothing wrong and he has no business being there in the natural sense. The other obvious thing is the idea, and it's a powerful idea, that this man looks at Jesus and he says, Jesus, will you remember me? And Jesus says, today... You will be with me in paradise. This man didn't have any opportunity to do any good deeds to earn his salvation. And by the way, this is the only deathbed conversion in all of Scripture. It's right here. 
This man does not have the opportunity to work for his salvation. He doesn't have the opportunity to do all this busy stuff to try to get God to love him or for Christ to accept him. All he can do is turn to Jesus by faith and say, I believe you are the sinless one. And will you please remember me when you enter your kingdom? And Jesus says yes. But the thought that I have for us this morning is more practical for you and for me. And here it is. The Gospel of Luke brings us kind of the boundaries or the sidelines of a response to Jesus on the cross. One individual looks at Jesus and rebukes him and mocks him and makes fun of him. And the other one looks at Jesus and believes. You see, the cross of Christ is something that stands in front of every single one of us, and the gospel lets us know the possibility of responses. One is to deny, to mock, and the other one is to stand at the cross and to believe and receive. In this story, there are three men. Two are as guilty as sin, and one in the middle is totally innocent. One of them who is guilty of sin sees the cross, meets Jesus, and determines to continue in his sin. And the other one looks at Jesus and asks him, Jesus, please, O sinless one, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. There are two responses, and now we've seen both in the Gospel of Luke. If you think more about this in the Newer Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 says this, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. That when we stand in front of the cross of Christ, it's literally the power of God that is there to save us from our very selves. But many will look at the message of the cross. And I love how the Apostle Paul writes it. The cross truly does have a message. The cross speaks. And he says that for those who are perishing, they look at the cross of Jesus and it is foolishness to them. But for others of us, we look at the cross and there's something about it that draws us toward it because there's something in the word of the cross that we know has the power to save us. Now here's another important thought for us as we ponder the cross. And it's this. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 tells us, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, the cross of Christ stands out there for absolutely anyone that if you will turn and look at the cross of Jesus, God did not wait for you to get your act together. God does not wait for us to turn things around. God did not look at Pete Hartwig when I was a preteen boy growing up on that farm in Wisconsin. God did not hold back his love for me until I got my act together. No, Romans tells us clearly, chapter 5, verse 8, that God's clearest demonstration of his love for me is this 
that while I was still out there sinning, Christ died for me. He died for me. And so what we know is, is that there Christ in His physical human body is on the cross. That Jesus Christ is fully man. When I think about the plan of God and how God in the Newer Testament teaches us this, that God takes on flesh, God humbles Himself, and He steps into human form. And as He does, that brings to us the Christ, Jesus And God, who is all-powerful and all-knowing, suddenly becomes limited inside of the human body. And as you read the Gospels, you'll realize there's a tipping point in all four of the Gospels where suddenly Jesus' ministry is hinged upon this phrase, and the phrase is always this, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and die. You see, the cross has to do with Jesus coming in a human form And it's his body, his human body, that becomes the sacrifice for our sins. As we think about Jesus physically on the cross, Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, gives us some powerful thoughts, and I want all of us to think about these together. Here's what the Apostle Paul writes to the Colossian church. Chapter 2, verse 13. When we were... What's the next word? Dead. When we were dead, or when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away nailing it to the the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. What powerful thoughts. But I want to begin at the end of those scriptures. Because when I look at them as a human, it makes no sense to me. The last sentence says this, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. It doesn't really look that way to me. You see, Rome would flex its might, its bitterness, its hatred through the cross. And so what ends up happening is Jesus gets nailed to the cross, And yes, some of the Jewish leaders went to Rome and said, get rid of this guy, and they were in cahoots together. But you see, when Jesus is nailed on the cross, and he's beaten and bruised and battered, and his flesh, the Scriptures, tells us is literally torn from him, when he's on the cross, it simply does not look like God has disarmed the powers and authorities. And it definitely does not look like that by Jesus being on the cross, that God is making a public spectacle and triumphing over the powers that be. It looks like anything but that. As a matter of fact, it looks to me like Rome wins 
It looks to me like death wins. It looks to me like hatred and bitterness has won. But what Paul is trying to teach us and we need to understand is that the cross is that amazing dichotomy of God. And it's this, when it looks like you're losing, you're winning. And when it looks like you're being overcome, God is doing something. And when it looks like death has conquered, it has not. That's the idea of the cross. It amazes me. And there's the Apostle Paul again, totally thrilled with the plan of God and the cross of God, saying, listen, when it looked like Jesus was being defeated, he actually is winning. Now picture this. Only God would come up with this plan where he would use the cross. It's, a, it's an instrument of death it's an instrument of shame and guilt and raw human domination over another, and it's all about power and defeat. Isn't it amazing that we serve a God that would take the symbol of the cross and say, on that, I'm going to do something supernatural on that. And oh, by the way, if we read the Gospel of Matthew properly, we discover that the birth story of Jesus is where some Gentiles, some non-Jews announce over Jesus, there, that baby is the king of the Jews. They were magi. He's never called the king of the Jews again until Rome, another group of Gentiles, is nailing him to the cross. And over his head, in three languages, so everyone could read it. It said, the king of the Jews. Picture this. Not only does God use the cross, this instrument of death, to free us, but if you read Matthew properly, you will discover that the cross is Jesus' throne. You see, that becomes his earthly throne. And you can see it clearly in the Gospel of Matthew because what do they place on his head just before they put him on the throne? What is it? A crown of thorns. What kind of a God is it that would humble himself so much that the powers of human hatred and bitterness seemingly would overcome him to where the cross becomes the throne and where there's a crown of thorns is placed on his head instead of a crown of jewels and God places his son there so that you and I could know God is all in. He is all in. He holds nothing back. And you see it's there. That God says in his infinite wisdom that it's on the cross where he's going to free us from all that stuff that the cross stands for. That cross again stands for violence and hatred and bitterness and bigotry and domination and human cruelty and torture and all the things that this world seems to bring to us. Not to mention nakedness. Guilt, shame, human domination, and oh yes, death. But God takes the cross and says the cross 
is going to become the throne for my son. A picture of this. When we look at the cross of Christ, we discover that Jesus Christ is nailed to the cross for us. That He is nailed there for me. And He's nailed there as a man in a physical human body. And Colossians chapter 2, verse 14 that we've already read says this, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and by the way condemned us, He has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. You see, as Jesus is nailed to the cross for Pete Hartwig, my indebtedness, the things that I owe because of the sin that I have done, God nails Christ to the cross, and as He's there, He pays my debt so that I can be free. And no longer does my sin speak condemnation over me. But when I look to Jesus, and I look to the cross, Paul reassures us that my indebtedness has been canceled and the bill has been settled. You could put it this way. God nailed it. He nailed it. When God did that, He nailed it. Jesus nailed to the cross is what frees me up from my very self. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, the Apostle Peter chimes in and here's what he says. Jesus Himself bore our sins in His body on the cross so that we might to die to sin but live to righteousness. Picture what Peter is saying. The Apostle Peter says this, is that Jesus Himself bore our sins not on His body, but in His body on the cross. So when I think about the cross, it's this place where Christ steps out of eternity down to this world, takes on human flesh, and says to God, I get your plan, and I will freely and lovingly participate in it. So that someday Pete Hartwig can stand at the cross and his debt to sin will be canceled. And Jesus did it in human form by taking my sin in him and he moves towards the cross. I love what Colossians 2.13 says. It says this, that all our sins having been canceled that all our sins, having canceled the charge of legal indebtedness against us. I know that there are some of us when we think about the cross, we think about a specific sin in our life. Maybe it was something we did to others or something that was done to us. But sin has invaded us. As we look at the cross, we think, I believe God forgives everything but that. Here's what I want to tell you. Is that God forgives and takes care of all our sins. Every last one. There is no exception to the rule. None. But everything I have ever done, Christ bore in 
himself on the cross for me. He did it in human body. As again, 2 Peter tells us so clearly that he himself bore our sins in his body. So now, what I'm going to ask that you would do is take out your communion. And while that's happening, you take out your communion. Brad Bigler, I'm going to ask if you would come up and bring the cross over next to me if you would. And as you hold the communion, please stand with me. I love the sound of those chairs. It's like angels clapping. You see, as we hold the bread, what's being taught to us already in this sermon just rings so true in my soul. That Jesus Christ took on human flesh. He took on a human body. And that body was nailed to the cross on Golgotha's hill. If you don't have communion, just raise your hand. There are people moving that will get it to you. But you see, think about it. Think about the fact that Christ's body was a human body just like yours. And Peter tells us that he took our sin into his body as he was nailed to the cross, canceling our indebtedness, the debt that we owe because of our sin. Let's hold up the symbol of Christ's body before the Lord and let's give thanks. Jesus, thank you for your body. Thank you that it was broken for us. Thank you that in human flesh, God came and walked this earth and was enthroned on a cross for us. Jesus, thank you for what you have done for us. The Apostle Paul writes this, the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this, remembrance of me. Let's eat together. You may be seated. Now as we consider the cross, we move towards what actually happened on the cross. What actually took place. We know that Christ's body is there, but what actually happened? Galatians 3.13 tells us that here's what happens to Jesus on the cross. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is anyone who is hung on a pole, your version might say hung on a tree. You see, what ends up happening is Jesus is commandeered by some of the Jewish leadership in the Roman Empire. They take him down the Via Della Rosa and they bring him to Golgotha's hill and they nail him to the cross. 
But what's happening spiritually is the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ became a curse for us so that he could redeem us from the curse of the law. You see, the law is found throughout the Older Testament. It's the law of God that says if you break one of these codes, and there were 613 of them, if you break them, then you have sin, and you must go make sacrifice for your sin. But here we find that Jesus Christ on the cross literally becomes a curse for us so that we could be freed up from the curse of the law in our lives. Next, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 tells, this, tells us this, that while Jesus is on the cross, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What ends up happening on the cross is while Jesus is nailed there, if we look at the prior verse that I've read, it talks about how Christ became a curse to redeem us, to buy us back. To redeem literally means in the original language, something that has been taken, something has been lost, and you go and you purchase it again. You purchase it back. That's what it means to redeem and now what we discover is Jesus is on the cross and it says God, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. What an unfair exchange. What an unfair exchange. But God in his love sees it as totally fair. That if you and I will but come to the cross of Jesus and stand next to the cross, if we will bring our repentance and our sin to him, then here's what happens. Is that Jesus who had no sin, Jesus who was nothing but righteous, became sin for me. And when I come to Jesus at the cross and I make the request that the one thief made, Jesus, will you remember me? What you're doing, Jesus, please do it for me. And what scripture says is this, is that my unrighteousness becomes his and his righteousness becomes mine. That's how it works. It's the plan of God through the cross of Christ so again, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. I can't work for that. I cannot buy that. There's nothing I can do to get that other than to come humbly to the cross of Jesus and request it by faith. Jesus, will you please take my unrighteousness would you please remove it from me? And then scripture goes on to tell us in the book of Ephesians, chapter one, verse seven. Here's what the Bible says. That in him, meaning in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. That how Christ redeems me, how he buys me back from my indebtedness to sin, is not, not only did he give up his body which was broken, but Ephesians 1.7 tells me, 
In Him, we have redemption through His blood. That Christ redeems me through the shedding of His blood and He becomes the sacrifice for my sin. You see, in the Older Testament, if I had sinned, I would have to go find a flawless lamb. I would make the journey with that lamb or I would purchase one right outside in the shepherd fields of Jerusalem. I would purchase a flawless lamb and I would take it to the priest. And the priest would go in and he would slaughter the lamb. And as the blood flowed, my sins, the ones behind me, were taken care of. But those in front of me were untaken care of. I would have to return again next year and do it again. But you see, the Bible says that Jesus Christ and what He did on the cross takes care of all sin. All sin. That in Jesus Christ, as I put my faith, hope, and trust in Him, not only the sin behind me, but the sin in front of me has been conquered through Jesus. And here it tells us that it's through the shedding of His blood. It's through His blood that I am redeemed. I am bought back. And it's through His blood where I have forgiveness of sin. And all of this is in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Will you take the cup with me? And would you stand? Would you hold the cup up before the Lord? This cup symbolizes Christ's shed blood. It goes back to the passage in Corinthians where Christ, and it's read every time we take communion. It says after the meal, Jesus took the cup. And He said this cup is a new covenant. It's a new agreement from God. And this new covenant is in my blood. That's what Jesus said. Knowing full well that within just a few hours He would be nailed to the cross and His blood would be shed and that His blood would have the power to save us from our sin. And so now we hold the cup. It's a reminder of Christ's shed blood on the cross. And it's through this cup, it's through the symbolism of this cup that He has bought me back from the slave market of sin and he frees me so Jesus says in the same way after supper he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes let's drink together You may be seated. The cross of Christ is something that stands in front of us this morning. All four Gospels bring the readers and the followers of Jesus to this cross. All four Gospels. 
And I referenced it earlier, but up to half of one of the Gospels actually transpires after Jesus says, I'm going to Jerusalem to die. And so, to be a follower of Jesus, I must come to this cross. And when I do, I don't stand here with Fran, my wife. I don't stand here with my mom who prayed for me. I don't stand here with someone that I'm on grounds with who's a follower of Jesus. I don't stand here with anyone else. I stand here all by myself. And I look at the cross and I determine, is this foolishness or is it redemption? Is this cross something that only fools believe in or is this cross something that can literally transform my life and bring forgiveness from sin and free me up from myself? Is this truly the throne that Jesus sat on? Is it true? Or is it just some made-up story? Something that's ultimately false. What I would say is this. You stand here, irrelevant of what race you are, irrelevant if you're rich or poor, irrelevant if you're educated or you feel you're undereducated, if you stand in front of this cross and you stand here, you come just as you are. No one else is here with you. It's just you and the cross of Christ. You determine, what is this cross going to say to me? I want to say this, that this cross speaks to me of forgiveness. This cross speaks of the plan of God that I couldn't have thought up if I tried. This speaks of God becoming flesh and being put on this cross, which is a sign of death and torture and dysfunction and brokenness and hatred. And God places Jesus right here and he does it for me for me. And I stand in front of this cross and I'm not passive, I'm active. Because from what we learned this morning, it begins to dawn on me that Jesus is on the cross because of me. I contributed it to the fact that he needed to come here. And so the question is, would you be willing this morning as we talk about get real, when we talk about health, would you be willing this morning to stand in front of the cross and either renew your commitment to what's true about this cross or maybe for the very first time you would stand in front of the cross and you would say, you know what? This cross is for me. It should have been mine. But Jesus, because he loves me, took my place. And he became a curse for me so that I could be free. He who had no sin became sin for me. So that through his shed blood, I can now participate in the righteousness of God. That my unrighteousness put him here. And his righteousness now becomes mine. This morning... I feel so strongly that if we're going to get real as a church family, if we're going to move forward with health, and we're going to talk about all kinds of health over the next several weeks, but I want to say this, all health 
for the follower of Jesus begins right here. It starts right here. And here's what I want to say too, is that when I stand next to the cross and I think about it, my flesh says to me, Pete, don't stand here. Bypass the cross. Just go to the resurrection. My flesh says, circumvent the cross. My flesh says to me, that part of me that loves this world or would rather be in the world, that flesh, that, that part of me that would rather be satisfied stands next to the cross and says, don't stand there. Pete, go around it. Just move towards the resurrection. That's the good part. But as a follower of Jesus, all four gospels take us right here. There's a godly order to this thing. The resurrection comes after the cross. And we are all called to stand in front of it and determine what will the word of the cross say to me? Is it foolishness? Or is it the power to save? Is it foolishness? Or can it cleanse me from my sin? Can it break the yoke and the sin of slavery of over my life? God, let that be the cross. So God, I pray over all of us that are here that even though our flesh would say, do not stand in front of the cross, that the conviction of God's Word and the present working of the Holy Spirit would cause us by faith to stand in front of the cross and come to terms with what God would say to my life. If you would be willing to stand before the cross of Jesus, would you please by faith stand with me? Begin to stand and in doing so you can't stand next to this cross. I wish we had a six foot cross for every single person in this auditorium, but we don't. But it's by faith that we can stand before the cross of Jesus. As we close our eyes, we consider again what the cross says to me. And the word of the cross is that God loves you and that he has moved through his son to redeem us and to save us and to pay off our debt to sin. Would you remain standing as you by faith close your eyes and you stand before the cross of Jesus and come to grips with and to terms with what the cross would say to you. The worship team is going to lead us in worship. But if you feel as though you need to take a step towards the cross, you feel that in your heart. I want to encourage you to step out from where you're standing and just walk forward. That you would take that feet to your faith and you would step into this. Say, Jesus, I'm going to move towards your cross. Some of you might not need to do this, but others of you may. As we worship, make whatever move you know God's calling you to make. Let's worship together.
by faith stand before your cross this morning and in doing so we determine that the cross of Christ is the standard by which we will live our lives that we have come to full recognition of what the cross says to us and Jesus as your followers we will not walk around the cross but we will walk up to it and we will face it and we will declare it as the throne of Jesus on which he did the most powerful thing he ever did and that is to free us from our sin that through his shed blood Jesus through your shed blood this cross speaks to us of hope and life and peace and forgiveness and cleansing Jesus, we need this. We need this. I want to encourage you, if you feel as though you need to come forward, our prayer team is going to come forward now to pray with you and to pray for you. But if you sense that you need to take a step towards the Lord, as the prayer team comes forward, I want to invite you to come down front and to stand before the cross of Jesus and be reconciled to what it is God is speaking to your heart and to your life. We're going to worship just for a few moments again, and then I'll return with the blessing. Let's worship.
And now may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May God turn his face towards you. And may he give you peace. In Jesus' name, in Christ's name, amen. If you would like to stay and worship, you can. If you would like to come forward for prayer, please do so. We're going to continue in an attitude of worship. God bless.
walk in freedom. Lord, I thank you for being here in our midst. Lord, I pray that we would walk in the freedom that you've given us. We would share that with others. God, you are so good.